Welcome to today's broadcast of Sun, Salt, and Light. Sun, Salt, and Light, S-O-N, knowing and growing in your daily relationship with Jesus Christ, but also being the salt and the light in your marriage, in your family, at your place of work, at your church, and even in the community you're in. I'm Pastor Michael Petit. This is a radio ministry of our church, Calvary Chapel Divine, here in Divine, Texas. We are so glad that you joined us for today's broadcast. We are a Calvary Chapel, so we simply teach the Bible verse by verse, chapter by chapter. We believe that God uses His Word to transform, restore, and to change lives one verse at a time. If you're visiting our area, you'd like to get information about our church or church service times, maybe even track down some of the other teachings that we have available through podcasts, whether it's through Audible or Spotify or Apple Podcasts, you can do all of that at our church website at calvarydivine.org. That's calvarydivine.org. If you have your Bibles ready, today we'll be in the book of Genesis, chapter 14, verses 18 through 24, and chapter 15, verses 1 through 3. The title of this sermon is, The Word of the Lord Came to Abram. Here is the first half of this two-part study. Uh, so last week we left off with, um, we, we had Abram near Damascus and he had grabbed 300, a little over 300 men and he went up against, and this is the part I wish I would have covered last week and I didn't, uh, but he went up against anywhere between the amount of 50,000 to 100,000 men. 300, over 300 going up against 50,000 is just within itself is a lot, but a hundred thousands even more but it, it to think that that you know the enemy that these kings came and they they um abram comes in and these kings come in and they take lot and abram has to go and and go and uh he doesn't think twice about it he just grabs some guys and he's like let's go and he chases them down and and the beauty of this is for abram it's not uh, to bring pride or to be prideful about what he's done he's always humble uh, in that and that's one of the beauties of it but what they do is when they go to attack them the four kings when he goes to attack them he does it at nighttime so there's confusion anybody who's been in combat at night uh, everybody's kind of chill they're sleeping so when you go at them it's it's a lot easier to get more people um, and so what Abram did is Abram actually kind of funneled them into like a bowl near Mount Hermon and so he they couldn't get away they were stuck. If they started climbing up the mountain, they would get killed. They were easy to be killed. Um, and so they killed a lot of men. And, uh, and God got the victory. But they did get back all of um, uh, the goods that were taken, the people that were taken. Because that's one of the things that we never talk about is the slavery that was already happening in that time. Those people would have been taken and put into slavery. Um, and then at the same time, they got the women back. But the main thing that he went for was Lot. That's what he went for, his nephew. But where we left off, we pick it up where Abram uh, is in front of Melchizedek in, in verse 18 of Genesis 14. It says, Then Melchizedek came of Salem, brought out our bread and wine, and he was a priest of God Most High. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be the God of Most High who has delivered your enemies into your hand, and he gave them, he gave him a tithe of all. So he gives a tithe to them. And one of the things we know is that when we look at this, we immediately think about communion that we just went through this past weekend, right? 
That's the first thing that should come up to mind. In Mark chapter 14, verse 22, it says, And as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to them, and said, Take it, eat this, is my body. Then he took the cup, and when he had given thanks, he had given it to them, and they all drank from it. And he said to them, This is my blood for the new covenant, which is shed uh, for many. Assuredly, I say to you, I will no longer... Uh, drank of the fruit of the vine until the day when I drank in the uh, drank it in the new kingdom of God, and so the first thing we see is we see Abram and we see him going to Melchizedek and Melchizedek brings bread and wine and there's that that immediate for us because we have the whole story, you have everything so you have you know what communion is, so there's that automatic recognition of this is something that christ does with uh with communion is the bread and the wine and as my grandson said this week i don't want to drink it grandma i don't want the blood because he immediately thought it was blood he's like i don't want nothing to do with that right and so you know but it's the beauty of the child um and so up to this point you will not hear about Melchizedek until you get to psalm 110 verse 4 there's nothing else given. So let's turn to Psalm 110 verse 4. It says, The Lord has sworn and will not relent. You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Now, remember, the Levitical priesthood hadn't started yet. This is before the Levites. And, and so when we look at this, there's a mystery here. And, and the mystery continues on. We only get this little bit of piece here uh, of Melchizedek. And, and we know that Melchizedek translates into, into righteousness and peace. Uh, he is the king of Salem, which is Jerusalem. The king of Jerusalem. Uh, but it also means righteousness and peace. And can I tell you, there are people that will argue over the, pronunci uh, uh, the interpretation of his name. They fight over that too. And again, these are all, just to understand, when people start getting into these type of discussions, they're theological battles that happen back and forth. And, and so people have different opinions on it. But uh, we believe, and what I believe, is that it means righteousness and peace. Righteousness and peace. In Psalm, 40, Psalm 85, verse 10, it says, Mercy and truth have met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed. That is a reference to Jesus on the cross. Righteousness, right? God's righteousness. You're found guilty of your sin, but it's God's righteousness that was paid by ascending His Son Jesus, who is the perfect Son of God, uh, sinless. But it's the peace of the cross as well. And when you think about the cross, the last thing you think about is peace. How violent it is and how ugly it is. But He poured out His blood for us. And so when I read that in Psalm 85, it gives me just another clue of righteousness and peace of kissed. And it's a reminder that Melchizedek means righteousness and peace. It's just pointing you to Christ. That's what the whole Bible does. It points you to Christ. Then we, we finally get some information about Melchizedek when we get to the book of Hebrews. That's when we really start because the author of the book of Hebrews is actually using Melchizedek to try to point you to Jesus. And this is where we'll spend some time here. 
In Hebrews chapter 5, verses 5 and 6, it says, So also Christ did not glorify himself to become high priest. But it was he who said, You are my son, today I have begotten you. And as he is also in another place, you are a priest according to the order of Melchizedek. And then turn to chapter 7. Chapter 7 gives us a little more information in verses 1 through 3. It says, For Melchizedek, the king of Salem, Jerusalem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abram returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abram gave a tenth part of all, first being translated king of righteousness. There it is right there. And then also king of Salem, king of Jerusalem, right? Meaning king of peace. Without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning nor, nor days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God, remains a priest continually. Now, the argument on this is, was the appearance of Melchizedek in Genesis 14 a Christophany, an appearance of Christ? That's where the argument begins. Now, what does that have to do with your salvation? nothing so what happens is people get real smart right and they spend a lot of time in the word of god nothing wrong with that but then they start arguing over these theological differences and the beauty of it is is you can prove it on either scripture but the thing that i i noticed on this and 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 i i, I would highly recommend if you're wanting to know more about Melchizedek is to go to the bible thinker Mike Winger, he has a whole video on this. A whole video on this. And it's done really well. And it's, it's pointing, it's talking about Christ in the Old Testament. And how Melchizedek points to Christ in the Old Testament. One of the things he believes that it's not a Christophany. And the reason why he says that is there's something that's there that's very important. In verse 3. Like the Son of God. Like the Son of God. Well, no, no, we have the Son of God, right? And so there's something in there, and so we have to look at that. Now, we do see that the, the verse gives us that he's, he's, he's eternal, he's unborn, he's undying. In Hebrews chapter 7, verse 8, it says, In one case the tithes are received by mortal man, but in other cases by one whom it is testified that he lives. So we see he's after the order of Melchizedek. And one of the things it says is you are a priest forever. Well, wait a minute. Melchizedek was actually the king of Salem. So are you saying that Jesus was running the Jerusalem? So that's the problem with the Christophany. That's one of the issues there. Because Jesus was not running Jerusalem at the time Abram was walking the earth. And so there's no evidence of that. The one thing that we do know is that he is the high priest. That's Jesus. He's the chief priest. And, and uh, for us, it's important for us to understand that Abram had time because our high priest has entered in advance into the presence of God for us. And he is here today interceding for us. It says in verse 4, Hebrews chapter 7, verse 4, it says, Now consider how great this man, very important to catch that next word, was. He's eternal. He's forever. Right? And so that gives us the, the, some more evidence there that we can look at. To whom even the patriarch Abram gave a tenth of the spoils. 
Now, Jesus was a long-term reigning king, but he's, he's not been the king of, of Salem this whole time, right? He wasn't the king. We know that he is the king of kings, and he is returning to, to rule and reign, but that wasn't his reign. And so those, there's little things like that. And when you see like how great this man was or is, it's a reminder to us that, you know, even in verse 21, uh, when we look at that in those verses, you know, it, it, all of this stuff that takes place for the priestly oath and you think about the Levitical process, it all happened after, right? So Melchizedek happened, I mean, we're, he's giving tithes, so Melchizedek was somebody that could receive the tithe. Um, and, and it's important just for us to look at that. What I would highly recommend, if you want, because I'm not going to spend the whole time reading through um, the rest of Hebrews chapter 7, but to spend time and just read it. The best part of it is in verse 21. It says, in, or I'll pick it up in verse 20. And as much he was not made priest without an oath. For they became priests with an oath, but he with an oath by him who said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not relent. You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. He says that Jesus is a priest forever. Right? So Joseph Smith is not a priest forever. And neither is Muhammad. Right? And so these are things that we can look at, but it, it goes on in verse 22. But so much Jesus had become a surety of a better covenant. Also, there were many priests because they were prevented by death from continuing. But he, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. And therefore, he is able to save the uttermost those who come to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. So he always makes intercession for us. It's presenting that, that he's holy, he's without blame, without blame, he sits at the right hand of the Father, um, and, and because he sits at the right hand of the Father, he's constantly making intercession for you. That's, that's, that's the, the, the high priest that does that. In verse 26, it says, For so much as the high priest was fitting for us, who is holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and has become higher than the heavens, who does not need daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifice for his own sins and then for the people's. For this he did once for all, he offered it up to himself. Right? For the law appoints as a high priest men who have weaknesses. Or weakness. But the word of the oath which became after the law appointed appoints the son who has been perfected forever. So when we look at this, all Hebrews is doing is painting a picture of the high priest, Jesus Christ. He's using Melchizedek to do that. So Melchizedek is simply just a type of Christ. A type of Christ. And, and so the main thing that you need to realize is when you look at Melchizedek, does it refer you to Jesus? It makes you look at Jesus. Right? And that's, what's, that's the most important thing of this. So don't get lost in the theology of it. That's where we're stopping. I'm not going to, we're going to keep teaching, but I'm not going to spend any more time on Melchizedek because at the end of the day, you have to choose what you believe. You may believe it's a Christophany. You may believe it's an appearance of Christ in the Old Testament, but 
again, I can I have I have scriptures on both sides of the argument. But what does that have to do with our salvation? What does that have to do with us sharing the gospel? Don't lose that because what he's pointing to ultimately is that Melchizedek was a type of Christ. Right? That's what we need to remember. Verse 21 of Hebrews, uh, our main of Genesis 14. Now the king of Sodom said to Abram, Give me the persons and take the goods for yourself. But Abram said to the king of Sodom, I have raised my hand to the Lord God, uh, Lord God most high, the possessor of heaven and earth, that I will take nothing from the thread to the sandal strap. And that I will not take anything that is yours, lest you say uh, you should say so. I have made Abram rich, except only what a young man have eaten, and the portion of the men who went with me, Anner, Eschol, and Memory, uh, let let them take their portions. So here we have. Normally, when you win or you have a battle, you want the spoils, not Abram, because it wasn't his victory; it was God's. He's like, y'all take them. I'm good. And that's humble. That's humility. And that's what we should have in our lives as well. It's like he's a humble servant to God. And, and, and that's the way that we should respond. Instead, what we do is we usually try to, we want to be seen. Like the, the victory's here. We want to be seen. We pridefully want our glory in the sun or whatever it is is, is uh you know, and, and, and if you want that, I mean, you just, it'll be burnt offerings in heaven. You know, if you're ready to have somebody give you that attaboy and all, I, you know, it's, I, you know, I was very, very adamant. I mean, I, when we talked about walking in love this, this past week, I actually saw that be lived out. I saw it lived out by the church. And, and so for me, I was really blown away by that and and i mean we've seen it a couple of weeks ago with with um uh with tony's uh celebration of life and just seeing people just step up and just be there and we need to keep doing that you're you're actually practicing your faith in humility and that's something that a church needs to be doing um it's just a reminder of that we need to be like well you know i say be like abram but abram just lied a little bit earlier right about his wife but we need to have that humility uh of understanding that he only had 300 men they went up against 50,000 to 100,000 men and who got the victory god god that makes no sense if we put those odds against anybody that makes no sense but god that's the beauty of that Genesis 15. Genesis 15. The word of the Lord came to Abram. I love that. And that's what I pray happens with y'all tonight. And that the word of the Lord would come upon you. And so that's what transforms our life. It's encouraging. It builds us up. It corrects us. It does. It's everything we need. It's the living word of God. In Genesis 15, verse 1, it says, And after these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, do not be afraid, Abram, I am your shield, your exceedingly great reward. So the word of the Lord can come to people through uh, the Bible. They can be spoken to through the word of God. They can speak, be spoken to by vision, as it says here. The Holy Spirit can give it to somebody by vision. It can come by dreams, Daniel, um, angels, preachers, prophets. Um, so we see that he is given something from God 
And, and so Abram is, one of the things that's said here that's very important to get, he says, do not be afraid. So why would Abram be afraid? Well, he just went up against four kings of over 50 to 100,000 people. I'm sure some of those people got away. And so guess what? Who they're going to come looking for? Abram for retaliation, right? And so the, the issue that we wrestle with here is we wrestle with fear as well. And I love that because you, you have God saying, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. And, and we wrestle with fear every day. We wrestle with fear to the point of where it paralyzes us and, and where we forget that we're followers of Christ and we have the presence of God. We have the Holy Spirit. But we struggle with it. Every one of us do. Every one of us do. And, and uh, you know, one of the things that, that we need to remember is that God is more powerful than your fear. Whatever it is that you're worried about. You know, we were praying. We had somebody that had results that they needed favorable. Nothing showed up on the test. And that's what we pray for. If it's God's will, that's what we pray for. And, and it, it was answered. There was a real concern there. Isaiah 41.10. I have heard this verse three times in the last two days. Pastor Dan Itwate. I never say his name right. Said it to me today. Isaiah 41.10. So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed. For I am your God, I will strengthen you and help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Psalm 23, verse 4. Even though I walk through the, the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Psalm 27, 1. The Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life, of whom shall I be afraid? Psalm 46, verses 1 through 3. God is our refuge and strength and an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though it waters war and foam and, and, and the mountains quake where the, with their surging. He's like, God is our refuge. God is, God is our strength. In Psalm 56, verses 3 and 4, Whenever I am afraid, I will trust you. In God, I will praise His word. In God, I have put my trust, and I will not fear. What can flesh do to me? Psalm 118, verse 6, The Lord is on my side, I will not fear. What can man do to me? That's twice. That's, that's throughout the Psalms. He's reminding you over and over, what can man do to me? There ain't nothing man can do to me. My soul belongs to God. We have to remember that. What man can do to me? It's like we see so many Christians and, and followers of Christ that are so freaked out about the things that are going on in the world. And it's like, what can man do to me? Yeah, it can get really bad. But this ain't the end for me. We have to remember that. John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. And do not be what? Afraid. Afraid. 
God has given to you over and over in Scripture not to be afraid because our normal tendency is to what? Fear. Hebrews 13, 6. So we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear. What can man do to me? And then Jesus said, in Luke chapter 12, verse 32, Do not be afraid, little flock, for your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. you already been given the kingdom. You already have victory. In Luke chapter 12, verse 7, and this probably somebody needs to hear this tonight. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Do not be afraid. You are more, worth more than many sparrows. Like, why do we fear? Why don't we have a reverence for God? We're, had to, we're, we're supposed to have a healthy fear, right? And so he tells Abram, do not fear. Because Abram's in fear. And God gives it to him. And, and, and in a vision. And it's important for us, even as we look at the... Uh, one of the things that we are to teach our kids is, is what it means to actually fear God and not man. Well, that concludes today's broadcast of Sun, Salt, and Light Radio. We hope that you enjoyed it. If you'd like to submit a prayer request or get in contact with us or find out service times, you can do all of that at our website, uh, as well as get uh, our podcast at Spotify, Audible, TuneIn Radio. Pretty much wherever you can find a podcast, uh, you, you can just type in Sun, Salt, and Light, and you'll find it. 